you need to have that determination on just, is this person equipped to be an SDR? You know, are they following through what they need to do? Are they cutting it on the things that you need them to do on, on the base, you know, basic activity, curiosity, learning, applying themselves to do the things and to hit the goals and targets they have. This might be controversial, but I give it four months. And usually it's because I've learned some of them come through, like they have all this drive and excitement, but then they hit some rejection and it's harder for them. If you cut it a little earlier than then I found sometimes we've cut off talent before they had a chance to experience that second rise. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Danny the Rev, coming to you for this week's episode of Reveal. Joined by the daughter of Milwaukee, the pride of the Midwest. I actually don't know if Milwaukee is the pride of the Midwest, but she certainly boasts a ton of Wisconsin pride. We've got Rachel Zweck, the Director of Sales Development from Flexera, who's coming to you to talk about how great and awesome and how utterly, irresistibly compelling the enterprise is. No, she's not doing that at all. You heard her title is the Director of Sales Development. So she's here to debunk this idea that the end-all be-all is enterprise. And not to, again, poo-poo market selling, but she's here to evangelize the legitimacy, the credibility, the hard-hitting scientific approaches that come from being inside and doing the Lord's work as an SDR, a BDR, a Legion specialist, or whatever acronym you go by. We're going to hear what is the convergence of automation, AI, and streamlined workflows that make sales development such an indisputably critical part to the go-to-market motion. Because I don't want to steal any of Rachel's thunder, I'm going to put a cork in it. Without further ado, Rachel's episode. DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents of Reveal, coming to you for another riveting weekly episode. This guest, coming from a hub of cuisine, as she proclaims, yes, the Midwest, oftentimes mistakenly believing Chicago to be the place to find your next great meal. No, she says, nay, it's actually in the city hosting the 21st season of Top Chef, but don't tell anyone because it hasn't aired. If you've got questions about where to go for that hole in the wall, or you've got questions unrelated to food, but you want to know what you can learn from over 20 years of inside sales experience with tenures ranging from that very pinky up highfalutin plumbing supplier of beautiful tub sinks and other fixtures in the plumbing world, Kohler, another Midwest name brand, to Rockwell Automation, to OpenGov, and most recently, the Director of Sales Development at Flexera. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would please, bringing out to the stage as she is, is that called dabbing? I'm really dating myself. It looked like a dab. It was dab. Yeah. Cool. My son can't do it, right? But we'll talk about that later. Well, for those watching, you'll see Rachel Zweck doing her first dab on Reveal. I don't know if we've ever had a dab in the Gong Studios. Rachel, welcome to Reveal. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm thrilled to be here. And I just love to nerd out about all things sales, especially digital sales, inside sales, virtual sales, whatever we're calling it. Um, and this AI topic is is just on everybody's minds, I think. Yeah, so Danny, I would just be curious, you know, 
all the things that you're wanting to unpack today from inside sales to AI, you know, what's on your mind. And I would love to learn from you as well. So let's kick it off. Rachel, we will be on a crusade of myth busting all things inside sales. So dealer's choice. I have two myths that I would like for you to bust. One, help us better understand the misunderstanding, the misconceptions, the illusions of inside sales being the inferior stepbrother sister to the elite, the rarefied, yes, field sales. So I'd like to myth bust that. You can pick that behind door number one. Behind door number two, as you suggested, the machines, they're not coming. The machines have arrived. They're here. We got robots and they're cranking out some pretty compelling, pretty insightful, pretty realistic outbound prospecting messages. Should we be quaking in our boots? That's behind door number two. Let's tackle both over the course of the episode. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the misconceptions. Uh, we can talk about all, all the different things that inside sales you know, kind of brings in those misconceptions. When you think misconceptions of inside sales, Danny, like what comes to mind for you? What do you think people think of when they think inside sales? This is where you cut your teeth. This isn't glamorous. You're dialing for dollars. You probably don't have the chops to be customer facing. You've got a face for radio like me, maybe a voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, be kind to yourself. Uh, I, I hear that all the time. And, you know, in some cases, it really depends on the organization, right? How they've set up their inside sales teams to be. We'll dictate some of that here at Flexera. We're starting a new inside sales team. It's sales development through and through. And most of these people started three months ago, right? So it is some of that cutting their teeth. They are dialing uh, for dollars in some cases. So I'm going to go ahead and just confirm some of those things. But I'll also talk about how you can uniquely drive value with inside sales mm. and virtual sales, which I think is really what a lot of companies are do miss, right? They think... Um, we can just set this up. We can go halfway. We're just going to have this SDR team that kind of does stuff. Um, you need to go all in on a strategy to get the most out of inside sales. And then therefore it becomes a talent pipeline. So those people who are, you know, who are new, they cut their teeth and they're hungry to learn. And they're the perfect incubator for other parts of your organization. So while I would say, yeah, they are cutting their teeth, you can use that to find the people who are going to be hungry and work through your organization and be pulled through in your talent pipeline. So that's extremely valuable. Um, we also have built successful teams that do all the important and glamorous things that field sellers can only do, right? Pulling people through all the way to close. And I think that really changed things when we started to close deals. Well, then we could do everything um, that everyone else was doing in the field sales yeah. world. And in COVID, we all were inside sales. Let's face it. We all had to adapt and do things a little differently to reach our audience in a virtual world. Um, so I've also heard evidence that some big companies are actually starting their entry-level roles in field sales because virtual selling is considered a little harder and a little more lucrative. Um, so if you, you can work your way up to inside sales now, so that will help. Uh, directly bust that myth. Shots fired. Challenge accepted. You hear that from the domain authority on inside sales. You are now being promoted into inside sales from field. Well, I want to also talk about the unit economics for a second. 
in this motion before we then go to myth busting number two. As you consider the time that is wasted on an airplane, in a car, knocking on doors, the number of meetings in that transit that you otherwise could have conducted, the amount of emails that could have been sent, the inside team selling collaboration that could have been done in lieu of all of this allegedly more compelling face-to-face time, are you now finding yourself empowered with a more bulletproof economic justification to even sunset field sales? Because in the times of COVID, we debunked that you couldn't sell unless you had a relationship or it was being done on a golf course or over steak and red wine. So I guess, is there even an argument for these dying dinosaurs to claim? Do they have a leg to stand on? I mean, I would say that um, we're coming for your jobs and shots are fired, but in a good way. I think this is a collaboration. Um, So let's let's work together on this um, because I think that we can kind of both divide and conquer and then come together. Certain industries, I'm going to say straight up, no, they're not going to be used to dealing with just buying things virtually, right? They're used to those, some of those things. Um, And that won't work. But in my industry, I'm looking at several, you know, multi-thousand dollar tools right now. And I have yet to sit down across the table from any person um, and share a meal or otherwise, right? I'm buying all these tools virtually. So I I do think they're, again, it, it starts to be challenging because I think we put the motion of, of moving deals through and closing deals right to executive sellers only. And when you turn that on its head and you're like, yeah, you're doing that virtually anyway. Um, and we can also do that with inside sales. It becomes a lot more that you can maybe do in your organization to be fluid um, and set up different strategies that might work for you both virtually and not. So I swear this is the last question before we go to myth number two, but we're really tugging on some juicy stuff. You are a buyer and you have bought multiple solutions now without ever sitting across the table from these vendors, plural solutions that you've purchased. As a buyer now, do you even crave wanting to meet those vendors or is it actually more of an inconvenience where you don't want to have to be forced into a dinner that's contrived and otherwise clearly an angle to win your business? For you, as you lead a busy life and certainly have hobbies beyond Flexera, do you want that face-to-face time? Or in fact, now, have you completely determined it's unnecessary, it's inconvenient, it's superfluous? This is an excellent question. Um, I do feel like it's superfluous. I actually am looking at three vendors for a large solution for us right now. And one is offering to take me out, right, and talking to me about, Oh, you're from Wisconsin. You must want to go to the Packer game. That's my Wisconsin voice, by the way. Um, so, and I'm like, not, not really, actually, I'm not into that, right? And so it's just, and and then it's like, well, we should really just like rub elbows and talk. It's less about getting to know me and more. I just feel like they're trying to add this value. Um, so I actually don't like it, and that's very interesting because I think uh, even three or four years ago, I might have been like. Yeah, that might have been a differentiator for them. (laughs) And now I actually actively don't like it. And what I'm finding is I'm leaning fully into the the vendor that is just offering me solutions to my problem. Let's hear a little bit more about that after myth busting number two, because I kept our listeners in suspense. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. That's on me, not on Rachel. No, she's not dabbing. It seems like she may have a cough, but 
Just Anyways, I'm back, fine. Back to myth busting door number two. Should we, if I jog your memory, should we be quaking in our boots? Should we be quivering? Should we be having sleepless nights wondering when our jobs will be supplanted by the robots, particularly in inside sales? No, we must embrace the future is my answer. <laughs> um, and um, I, I think, so you know how, what I love about digital selling especially is that it always evolves, right? People used to answer their phones until they didn't. Then we had to get cool with personalization of email. And then you know, we had to get cool about social and understand all these things. And I think AI came it went, people were like, I don't think that's ever going to happen in sales, right? It kind of was the talk of the town eight years ago. And then I went away. Now it's back. It's back big. Um, And I think for me, uh, the human factor is the most important differentiator that there is to sales. It's genuine human to human connection is the highest form of connection with prospects and customers, period. But that comes with a price, um, so you really want to utilize, um, AI for like the more boring systemic parts of sales. Um, and, and there are certain ways I think that it can really, um, enhance your sales strategy so that you can actually spend more time selling. So reconciling something you said in myth busting door number one, and what you just said about human to human connection. Yeah. We're, we're not going face to face, but we are brokering human-to-human connection digitally. Give us a better understanding where it is, again, in more concrete granularity, where does AI start in the equation in the sales cycle? Where does it stop? And where is there a really, we'll say, irreplaceable component to that human-to-human connection that only an actual seller could contribute to the dynamic? Yeah, I've given this so much thought um, because... Actually, AI has really worked for me, and I didn't see it entering the chat, entering the conversation really in a meaningful way until I really saw some good use cases out there, um, started studying this with other people in the industry. Yeah. Um, so for me, the I've been looking for, for the AI, again, to do the boring things, the systemic parts, the parts that maybe sales aren't good at or just don't want to do, or they can get buried in the rabbit hole of research, personalization, all those kind of things. So the the things that I've been looking into um, and others I know in the space have as well are scheduling and rescheduling meetings using AI. So if I fill something out, AI interacts with you to schedule a meeting really fast. Um, I don't have to use my SDRs for that. And we currently have almost a 50% acceptance rate here just wow. utilizing that. That really blows my mind. So the, the rest of the 50% of the time, the SDRs can spend scooping up those people, disqualifying or qualifying, hopefully, those who are interested. Um, AI takes care of half of that for me on my hottest leads. Um, I was discounting that benefit before. Um, personalizing emails, there's a lot out there for that. Um, we could dive down that rabbit hole. Motivation. Right, saves my manager's time if all that stuff just happens in the back end. First person to hit 50 calls, first person to get their meeting for the day, you know, alarm bells go off, you pick your favorite song. Like, no one has to monitor that. You know, the computer can do that and automate that. Um, Automating our lead routing. So, leads will get sequenced to the right person, and just no one has to do that. Automation really does that for, um, for sales processes. 
um, AI offers up cool insights um, that we've never known about from voice, which is really very helpful. I mean, we don't know what we're looking for. And my managers have to spend their time digging in to find that that golden stuff. Um, that is totally time taken back that we can put into new processes, to new campaigns to like reach more yeah. customers, to cross sell, to upsell. Um, those insights that they offer up are very valuable. Automation plus streamlining can equal, when done correctly, revenue explosion. It's a fun visual, am I right? Well, here's why. According to a HubSpot study, 74% of marketers say that marketing automation has increased the number of leads they generate. Hooray for automation, right? Good for all those marketers taking advantage of streamlined ways to sell. On the flip side, Forrester shows that only 36% of businesses have a formal plan for managing their automation processes. Oh dear God, we've got a disconnect. Well, here's a pro tip for how you might overcome that gap. Don't try and tackle all your automation all at once. Let's start with just a few key tasks and processes. Then over time, gradually add more as you become more comfortable. Train your team on how to use new tools and processes. Automation is really only effective if everyone is on board. And don't forget, your results are really gonna be determined based on your willingness to iterate and make adjustments as needed throughout this journey. Let's jump back in with Rachel and hear a little bit more about how automation is enhancing her role in sales development. With all of the automated insights, the automated processes that you've described. Oh, I don't have to lift a finger. Voila, easy button, me likey. And I think about for listeners in our audience pool who are those analysts, for listeners out there who are operational or program specialists, and they hear, but wait, I was doing all the lead routing. And yes, I was creating all those fun spiffs as an EA. Ah, am I am I thinking of this correctly if I'm reading the tea leaves as doom and gloom? Or should I actually be looking at this as a force multiplier? Total force multiplier. Total. Like, please look at this that way because your time and energy should be repurposed from from AI and from automation into roles that drive funnel or drive sales. So you should actually be really excited as a salesperson because the, the pain of personalizing an email, the pain of figuring out what task should I work on next, the pain of chasing a prospect down for an email, AI is able to do so much of that painful stuff that I can spend yeah. time learning and becoming an expert in my product, in my field, learning my, my customer base more closely, right? All those things. Look at it as a how, and that's really how I'm looking at it. And the equation is like, yeah. what stinks and what can AI and automation do that stinks so I can open up my sellers to do all these really valuable things? A reframe. So I appreciate that the reframe. glass is half full. Yeah. Very good. Let's go back now to so people are prospecting into you. Can you discern? what was originally conceived and written by a human end-to-end -end versus what is objectively a like, ah, this reeks of chat GBT, or maybe this even reeks of something that's a sales-specific, sales outreach, sales engage, generative AI bot. Do you have the ability to discern between those? Ooh, I would have said probably yes if you would have asked me this question six months ago. Now I would say I'm not sure. 
Um, I actually took a meeting with an SDR who totally got me um, through personalizing emails using their own personalization tool and everything they knew about me on LinkedIn um, wow. and totally admitted that to me. Right. So um, I had, I thought a human wrote that. So um, I think it's getting better and better and it's getting harder and harder to discern. Therefore it's making, there's a lot of noise then out there. I think that the SDR needs to figure out how to cut through and that's where the human part comes, comes through. It's like, what are you going to do? That's maybe different. Are you going to maybe send a, like, I don't know, a hat to somebody with their favorite university to get their attention? Like, how are you going to punch through? And actually this is where calling's cool again. I think leaving voicemails is cool. So many people are letting AI do this for them. Mm -hmm. We know that the Packers game, don't you know? Well, oh, yeah. that's not going to, that's not going to work on you now, but tell us whether it came from a human or it came from a bot. What are the, when you say, hey, like I'm looking for someone or something to solve my pain, to solve my problems, how does that look when you're willing to say, okay, I'll bite? Because as you said, we got to rise above the noise. We have to somehow punch through all of the desensitization that we've accumulated from being bombarded with too many crap, bogus, dingus attempts. What are the emails that you're actually inclined to want to respond to? Those that are short. Honestly, right to the point, fast and valuable. They succinctly tell your story and why there's value there. And there's also just repetition, um, patience and persistence in sales, right? Pays off. Um, one of my new SDRs who just started just got his sixth outbound meeting. Um, and he's, he's really doing very well in, in just six weeks. Um, I said, what's your, you know, what's your secret? I know you're just learning this space. He just said, I really just stay persistent with those people who are willing to have conversations with me. Um, and so I think that's how it's, it's simple connections that SDRs can do to, to cut through that noise. I think that again, only a human can do some of those parts. Great. We talked about before some of the stereotypes that follow the inside sales SDR career path, the stigmas. That this is a grind. This isn't glamorous. You are smiling and dialing. This is a volume game, an endurance test, a grit test, whatever it may be in that sort of frenzy of descriptors I just provided. Inherently, when it's an uphill battle, when the deck is stacked against you, when maybe you're not accustomed to hearing no 99 times out of 100 as your first job out of school, what are ways that you've been effective in getting these SDRs and getting these people who are doing the Lord's work, the unsung hero roles in inside sales and sales development, what are ways that you've gotten them to keep the faith, especially when they're down in their luck and it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight? What a great question. Yeah. Um, I think there's quite, there's quite a few things I could go on and on about this. Having started up four inside sales teams completely from the ground up and this one at Flexera included, you have to give people a vision of the future that they can believe in, right? So um, these people believe that they're contributing to a greater mission and, and they know that they are and that they're going to be able to grow their careers. So I really think giving SDRs that career pathing, if you're missing that, you're completely missing a big motivating factor that I've seen for just about every SDR who comes into my organization yeah. and they want to go to that next role. Um, I think you need to give them um, opportunity to fail 
and a place to have some radical candor where they can come to you and feel vulnerable and not, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people come in and be like, produce results. You're already costing me money being here. And that is just the wrong attitude to take. Um, I give my, I give my reps quite a bit of therapy, uh, just listening to them and helping them overcome their problems, helping them. Hey, what's your biggest problem that you're facing? Let's let's unpack it and face it head on. A lot of listening to calls, right? If a lot of listening to calls and picking up those like juicy bits or thing, just learning, right? Learning how to talk in the industry is super important. Um, accountability is strong. So what, what do we expect you to do? When do we expect you to do it by and holding everyone to that and then giving everyone a good onboarding and process flow that they can understand so they can just hit the ground running really quickly or just some of the things. And something that's really working for us is we have an incubator system where our, our team is in office four to five days a week. Um, which wow. might be very, very controversial out there, um, yeah. a whole podcast of its own. But that incubator system where we're leaning in and we hear that SDR have that conversation and you can tell it's going well and they're overcoming objections and the team's rallying and they get the meeting and the room explodes. Like you just cannot replicate that, I don't think, virtually. So um, I've found that to be very motivating for, for our particular team. On the flip side, when, again, you're motivating people to overcome these hurdles and these challenges and they rise above the stakes and they have that that moment of victory where the whole place goes berserk and they, they book the meeting, when do you realize, given this is kind of the farm team, this is the proving ground, when do you realize, hey, maybe this isn't for me, maybe like I gave this more than the old college try and I'm not hitting my OKRs or I'm not hitting my KPIs. And again, we see some people who just rise very quickly through the SDR period where they're vet and they say, yeah, these people have what it takes to be an A and then they go on to greatness and they've got all the chops that they've achieved and garnered from your school. Well, what about the people who they're not spinning their wheels, but they're also just not seeing the success when we just say, if it's not going to be a success here after, is it nine months? Is it 12 months? 15 months and maybe you don't have a one size fits all but when do we say if this isn't panning out now it's not going to pan out any better to be an ae how do you make that determination have that conversation i think you need to have that determination on just is this person equipped to be an sdr you know are they following through what okay. they need to do right are, are they are they are they cutting it on the things that you need them to do on, on the base you know basic activity curiosity yeah. learning um, applying themselves to do the things and to hit the goals and targets they have. If they haven't done that, I might, I might, um, this might be controversial, but I give it four months. And usually it's because some of, I've learned some of them come through, like they have all this drive and excitement, but then they hit some rejection and it's harder for them. They have to kind of come through that valley a little bit up into a new peak. And if you cut it a little earlier than that, I found sometimes we've cut off talent before they had a chance to experience that second rise. Yeah. Um, so four months is what I give it. And and if you determine that they can't do it, you need to obviously um, go down that path with that SCR and probably just have that conversation. That they're, they're probably not cut out for it and that they should consider other things. Um, radical candor says to, to care personally, but challenge directly. And I, I believe in that totally. But then, Beyond that, you should really be building a path to the next role. And usually it's AEAM, right? So you create a path, SDR, senior SDR, all yeah. the way to AE. And what are you going to do to bridge that gap? And where I've seen those programs fail is like, great, you've become this amazing SDR. Yeah, you've crushed all these 
goals. Awesome. You create all this pipeline, but then they go to AE and they have no idea how to demo. They have no idea how to pull an opportunity through. They have no idea how to close an opportunity, how to find an economic buyer, all those things. So making sure that you build your succession plan with you know, your HR or enablement team or whoever it is, to maybe even just you um, building it yourself, but making sure that they're learning those things so you're setting them up for success when they go into their next role in partnership. I usually do this in partnership with the field team, right? Um, hey, what are you wanting to see from your, your AEs? And let's make sure that my team's hitting that mark when they walk into that interview. Amazing. So as we said, here you are, the Joan of Arc leading the crusade to have people get promoted into inside sales, to have that be the path to lucrative, financially sound, dare I even say lavish futures that are far more efficient and cost-effective for the business. That's the crusade. We've myth-busted two totally incorrect theories about inside sales. What is, if there is one, what is a third myth about inside sales with the audience of Reveal, the 33,000 unique monthly listeners that you want to debunk today? I think looking at this team as a, a lesser part of your sales organization yeah. or another part of your sales organization. Um, these are sellers, right? They, they're, yes, they're learning the craft, but they're part of the team. And I think a big mistake a lot of companies make is just not make them as uh, just as cool as part of the award ceremony as um we don't recognize the success in the same way. We don't look at their promotion sometimes and say we a lot of a lot of companies still SDRs hang out for years. Um, that can't be your culture if you plan to create a sales organization where people are hungry to grow within it. Amazing. Well, we talked about inside sales extensively today. We took down three total erroneous fallacies about the inside sales profession. Well, Rachel, to close out this episode, we will have as our grand finale question, the zinger of all zingers. It's the same one we ask all of our guests. So if you've listened to Reveal, this shouldn't come as a shock to you. But if you're a first-time listener, here's something that as a tradition, we ask for anyone that comes into the Gong Studios. And it is this, not particularly just for inside sales, but Rachel, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Partnership. Say more. You're never going to make it in sales. Like I think a lot of people in sales are lone wolves, right? So um, I think the really successful people make partnerships with their customers, with their prospects, with their industry, with their um, you know their cross functional partnerships, their sales operations, their marketing folks. Um, you're going to be a better seller if you are a partner than a lone wolf. So that's why I think sales is all about partnership. Um, you can't a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you're all in it together, um, you all can probably sell a little bit. And I probably sounded very Wisconsin when I said boat. I tried. Well, <laughs> we've just had an amazing number of tributes to the Midwest from our Packers to the culinary call outs. This is not a podcast sponsored by the state of Wisconsin, by the way. We are not affiliated with anything to do with the great state of Wisconsin. Make sure but, to get your seeds from the great state, Dairyland State of Wisconsin. <laughs> Look it up on your labels. Um, and they, I think they may be sponsoring after this. We'll find out. I'll, I'll, I'll make some calls for you, Danny. One can only hope. I am in desperate need of my own block of cheddar every month brought to you by the state of Wisconsin. So, <laughs> Rachel Zweck. 
Yes. Thank you for illuminating for us that it is a very real reality to begin to think about the not, I don't know, bottoms up inside to outside sales, but eventually we will be living in a world where maybe outside sales becomes obsolete. Maybe it's not a binary outcome where it's one or the other, or us versus them, but it's both. And there's an equal level playing field for both. I also just really appreciate everything you've done to remind us that these are people who are part of the team. They are not second-class citizens. And of course, the close, that this is a team sport. And that again, while you may have a tendency to retain all of your proprietary secrets, those that are willing to benevolently democratize and share in the wisdom that they've accumulated, either through their own innate gifts or through the years and decades of sales miles that they've walked, that that behooves them and those around them as a rising tide lifts all boats. Did I get to get my delivery right? Was that the right? Wisconsin so twang? Uh, well, the dabber of all dabbers, the dabbiest of dabs, we've got Rachel Zweck, Director of Sales Development at Flexera. Thanks so much for being here. Danny, thank you so much for having me. I would love to nerd out with you anytime. So hit me up if you ever want to have another conversation. We'll see you in Milwaukee. See you there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, well then head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, well, come on, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.